Understand? Thank you. I am sorry for yelling. I'm having a very hard, never-ending night. This is the Extra Hot Great Podcast, episode 237 for the week of February 4th, 2019. I am Hollow Sidewalk Hazard, David Teekle, and I'm here with Rotting Fruit, Sarah D. Bunting. Time is a flat orange. Bodega Cat, Tara Ariano. Meow. And Cockroach, James Panawazic. I'm not a cockroach, you're the cockroach. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Extra Hot Great. Before we get into the show proper, I just want to say thank you very much to all our new Patreon supporters. I believe as of this recording, we are on the precipice or perhaps over our first threshold, which is 400 buckaroos. So that means you will soon, at some point to be announced, be enjoying for our Patreon supporters a extra, extra Hot Great episode. So look forward to that. In the coming weeks, thank you once again. It is uh, patreon.com slash extra hot great or go to extra hot Click on the Patreon link uh, to throw us some support. We really do appreciate it. And with that, I throw it to Dar. Welcome our guest, first timer, James Ponowazic. Hello. Yeah. Hello. Now, we asked you to come on and talk about Russian Doll, and the first thing that you said was that you were excited to discuss this in a spoiler-intensive manner. So let us warn everybody, we will be talking about the entire uh, first season, all eight episodes. So if you're only partway through or you don't want to be spoiled, this is your this is your fair warning. Fast forward ahead. Jim, this is one of the shows that it has inspired a lot of um, sort of puzzle-solving impulses in people. I've seen uh, one Twitter thread from Jason Zinneman uh, making this the, the case that this was a show about the clearing out Tom's, Tompkins Square Park or some kind of East Village history. One about um, that this is quantum immortality theory, something about the Mandela effect. <laughs> did did you have any of these uh, kind of unraveling impulses as you were watching it? And if so, what were they? Uh, I did. I did not. Th- thank God. I, I mean, I, 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 I saw Zinneman's theory and like that it's, you know, persuasive to me up to mm-hmm. a point like there's obviously something built into the show that uh, it is, you know, very much. Uh, sort of a uh, you know kind of among other things jaded love letter to you know sort of bohemian downtown New York you know and so there mm-hmm. there's that element of it I think the thing that uh, I I like about the show you know you can kind of take the title as meaning a lot of things mm-hmm. you know that, that that it gets down into the layers of Nadia's character that as the show goes on uh you, you know you you sort of move into through different levels of its sort of recursive reality, the show becomes different things. I, but I like that it's a show that lends itself to this sort of theorizing and interpretation, but I don't watch it feeling like it's just freaking Westworld. Yes. You know, <laughs> like I'm going to be like quizzed on this at the end. Yeah. And, that, you know, there's just going to be, there, there. It has, it has a resolution, and mm-hmm. you can have theories or interpretations of that, but it doesn't have an an answer, which I think is just one of the great, you know, just 
plagues of of TV culture for the mm-hmm. past several years. Nor do you have to engage in that process to enjoy what they're putting on the table either, which is the difference between this and Westworld. I think Westworld is just, as somebody put it, a Reddit thread as a TV show. <laughs> Being a sci-fi kind of nerd and one of those people that was trying to figure out what their show Bible was. I think the problem with trying to figure out what this show is doing is that at this point, I cannot tell where the show is drawing the line between science and spirituality. Mysticism. Yeah. And without knowing that, it's sort of a crapshoot to play that game, I think. Like, I have my pet theories, and I kind of called the the bit where they were out of sync at the end. I saw that coming. I couldn't tell you exactly why. I kind of had this weird <laughs> wormhole theory. But I didn't need to do all that to enjoy the show. The lead character, she is not likable, but is... Somebody I'm still rooting for, which hasn't happened in a little while on TV for me. (laughs) There is something very human about her, like the way that she often will just trail off nonsensically at the end of a sentence is so me. You know, just as she's (laughs) saying something, she's like, blah, 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 like that. It's like, there's something very human about this that I think when you read it on paper, you might not think is there because it sounds very gimmicky. Okay, so that's a good segue to we should just give a brief kind of overview of what the show is for people who don't know. It's called Russian Doll. It's on Netflix. Uh, The entire eight episode season dropped last Friday. Um, And the lead character is Nadia, played by Natasha Lyonne. She's a video game designer. It's her birthday. And she goes to her party. A sequence of events happens. She gets she's going out for cigarettes. I believe she gets hit by a cab and dies and then comes to in the same position where she was when we met her at the beginning of the episode, which is in the bathroom at the party, uh, looking at herself in the mirror. And so it sort of turns into a, for lack of another analogy, this is the one most people know, like a groundhog day situation where she keeps dying and keeps returning to the same start point. And she has to kind of figure out what's going to happen. And I was slightly fearful picking this because we've had a lot of sitcom lead topics in recent weeks. And as listeners of this podcast know, that is not Sarah's jam. But after I watched the first few, I was like, okay, this isn't really a sitcom. It's like a dramedy. And I'm hopeful that there were enough elements that would keep Sarah hooked. Like um, the kind of the, the ghostly situation that comes up in season in episode three, where there's talk of like, is this old yeshiva where her friend's loft is, is it haunted? Um, Cause that's a ghost thing Sarah likes. I mean, I just felt like this is more of a, this is closer to something like um, homecoming, although not as dark than, than something like black Monday. So Sarah, over to you. What did you think of this? Um, I loved it. I have a controversial theory about the end that I'm pretty sure is wrong, but I will get to that later. Um, The casting is amazing. Natasha Lyonne is great. And finally, she's going to be the, you know, the actor name on everyone's lips. It's about fucking time. She's awesome. Um, I'm really glad that everyone has gotten wider exposure to my girl, Greta Lee, who I first was aware of on Chance, which I feel like nobody really watched except me and like, this is Hugh Laurie, but that was a good show and she was great on it and should have had a bigger part. Um, and she's great in this. And of course the great Elizabeth Ashley, uh, I must insist that everyone go on eBay and find copies of her memoir. It's just called actress and it is a lot. 
but in the best ways and all the ways that you would expect from Elizabeth Ashley, because she's, I mean, <laughs> I love her. She's the best and her hair looks great. Um, I also loved what you said before about um, like it is, it is a puzzle, but the puzzle isn't necessary to enjoy it is exactly yeah. right. Um, that, that it was so steeped in the history of the East village and seemed to be operating in a number of timelines, not just plot wise, but like in the atmosphere of the village and like the old bars that they're in and that she can still smoke everywhere. Like Zinneman's theory about it still being 1991 in the showrunners minds. Um, that's what pinged for me that mm -hmm. she just like smokes everywhere and no one says anything about it is like old old east village um and that brendan sexton the third is in it i forget the name of this movie but there's a bar called lucy's at ninth and a and there's a huge poster of him he like starred in this east village like action movie and they filmed a lot of it in lucy's and um our great good friend john ramos and i had many pints in lucy's like um watched over by brendan sexton <laughs> I loved all the references to it reminded me of high maintenance in the way that it mm -hmm. sort of told the story of the city in an unsentimental, but fond way. Yeah. Um, and I also loved the little references to like, she's like, nobody's mad at Peter Falk. Right. And I was like, Oh, I'm going to take that as a wings of desire reference. Cause that's how I take uh -huh. pretty much everything mm -hmm. I possibly can. Um, it reminded me of Jessica Jones a little bit like her character, uh, Nadia, but not in a not in a way that felt forced. Like there were just a lot of references that came up that added to it instead of making me compare it unfavorably. Um, and of course, the ultimate, you know, star of kids reference to the old village, Chloe Seveny as her mom. Um, I just thought it was really an amazing, confident, cool story that mostly worked in terms of like the science of the mysticism of what they were trying to do. And it was really well acted. And um, my husband, Dan came in in kind of the middle of it and was pretending not to pay attention <laughs> and then started asking me to pause it and being like, so, but wait, how are the flowers dead? And what does that mean? And I said, I don't know, but I've been writing down these little clues like where did the mirrors go stuff like that um yeah i thought it was great uh i was not all that concerned that it was going to be sitcom-y um it but it was very catskillsy in a way that i that i really liked Got well that's kind of, natasha leone is kind of like that when you see her interviewed like I, I one of the things in cinnamon's thread was like she talks like andrew jace clay like no that's just how she talks <laughs> like yeah that's how she that's how she authentically is it's how she describes herself. Yeah. <laughs> that's, one, that's one of the best lines in, in, in the show. What, like if Andrew Dice Clay and the little girl from Brave made a baby. <laughs> yeah. And that she's worried that's going to become problematic someday. <laughs> Licking Dice. Like, well, we may be past that. But yeah. Let's, let's talk about Alan oh. because this is, this is a crucial moment uh, in, in the series when we find out that, that Nadia is not the only one who keeps dying. And I feel like without Alan, it's such a different show. And I love when we switch over to his point of view and we see that his response to this situation is trying to perfect it. And and I um, when he saw his meticulously packed suitcase and he's he's the, the regimented way that he's, you know, 
leaving at exactly the right time and stuff that the messiness of her and the, and the tidiness of him is such a great contrast. Uh, Jim, what, what were your thoughts on Alan versus Nadia or compare and contrast? Yeah. I mean, that, that, that to me, that seemed a pretty like not, not a especially elusive, you know, puzzle to solve that, you right. know, he is sort of, you know, a mirror of her. I mean, not just like mechanically in, you know, every way, but, you know, and that sort of foreshadows, that last scene in the ultimate image where, you know, they're, they're, they're the, the sort of split mirror scenes of them that, that converge, you know, they're yeah. like the, the two, the, the yin and the yang that have to be brought together. You know, she's female, he's male. She's, you know, sort of, you know, t- uh, t- uh, you know, unruly and he's very regimented. Uh, she, you know, uh, you know, does, does not like to be too dependent on people and he is desperate for commitment um, so, you know, somebody more smart about philosophy than I am could probably <laughs> derive some, you know, big theory about the, the dialectic that's being <laughs> resolved between the two of them, uh, you know, to, to create a single functioning whole. And also just, you know, just mechanically, I, I will admit, you know, when, when, I, when I started watching my screeners of the show, I'd heard some buzz about uh, uh, the show before I watched it at all. And I watched the first episode or two. Um, and I thought, well, this is, this is, you know, this is good. But, you know, I've, I've seen this sort of premise before. Mm-hmm. I've seen Natasha Leone, you know, kind of play this kind of character before. Um, you know, what, what is interesting, you know, or what, you know, really impresses me about the show, uh, besides its, its emotional depth and the places it goes with her character, is that it starts out as things and then it becomes something else and it complicates that and it complicates that. And, and, and once you bring in this element of these, you know, these, these, these two people who are reliving their day and have to work out this puzzle together, like that just, that sort of mechanically opens up a lot of possibilities for the story, uh, which, you know, which, which I think is really great. Yeah. But I also like how, like the, there are two different approaches to this situation are so it's like the question of would you want to be invisible or would you want to fly <laughs> it's like would you uh, want to just do whatever you want because nothing matters or would you want to try to perfect this this time that you have and do everything exactly right like those are there's such uh such warring impulses the other thing i was going to say that i liked about having a, another character involved is not to harp on this too much but but i, I wrote about this a little bit in my my review of, of russian doll uh, did, 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 did any of you watch, play, do Bandersnatch? Yes. Yes. I wanted to get to that too. Go ahead. Yes. Uh, yeah. I mean, and we can talk about this, uh, this a little more, but you know, that just very briefly was this sort of choose your own adventure, interactive experience of, of Black Mirror. And when it came out, one thing I wrote about that sort of irritated me about it is, is, is that there's this kind of. Uh, I don't know what to put it, sort of like solipsism about a story like that, where you're basically in the point of view of a single character and everything's laid out for you very mechanically and you're the only one with any volition and you can, you know, experiment and do things differently, mm-hmm. but other people are basically treated like machines. Uh, you know, you know the, 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 there's never the possibility that another person will choose differently, give, you know, given the same being in the same situation with you uh, there there there's no where whereas you know simply having another sort of decider 
uh, uh, you know, in this uh, in in this story, really makes it much more broad and rich. And, and it's not just you know the the two of them characters like Ruth have different responses and reactions in similar situations, uh, and that's that's just a much more you know to me rich and complex thing than just making your story into a maze where it's like you know how do you how do you get from point A to the ultimate ending. Uh, I also want to give a shout out to Jeremy Bob, who plays um, Mike. Yes. Is that his name? He yes. is so good at playing total pricks. He was <laughs> great at it in The Nick, great at it in Mosaic. He's so, like, as soon as you see his face, he's so punchable. Like, I just love how committed he is to being a total asshole all the time. Good for him. He did a great job. And meanwhile, he's narrating a sort of, not highbrow, but for this, you know, network, middlebrow, um, limited series on... Uh, murders around Lake Erie. Really? So that's happening. And he's uh. like, I didn't realize that that was him, but I do remember I watched a couple episodes and the narrator was like uh, almost parodying what these narrators do. And I was like, all right, you got to make your own fun with these, I guess. <laughs> and then I was like on the IMDb yesterday and it was him. I was like, oh, I see you. Someone <laughs> needs braces. Roger that. Well, it sounds like we all really loved mm. it. Yeah. Uh I did. Let's hear it for the uh, half-hour dramedy again. Yes, this is a, yes. This is again. A trend. I am behind. I am enjoying <laughs> the pacing of <laughs> totally. that a lot. And speaking about yeah. economy, uh, just want to give a shout out to the um, orange as a explainer for the theory of relativity scene that they knocked <laughs> out in like forty-five seconds. Which you know, it was a very simple explanation of it, but it was effective. Uh, basically, you know, they're showing an orange is, is a circle in two dimensions, a, a sphere in three dimensions. And then she cuts into it to show that the decay is only from the outside moving in as a to show like the fourth dimension of time moving through. So I thought that was just like a really smart e economic way of doing it. And it didn't bog down the show like say any star trek episode you've ever seen where Jordy <laughs> wants to talk about tachyons for half an hour uh, i thought that was that was a great scene it, it's always better to do that sort of thing fast right i, I can't mm -hmm. remember who was well this uh, even by bringing up this name i worry i'm sending us down a tangent but i think it might have been damon lindelof or somebody associated <laughs> with lost who was talking about the star wars prequels and and bringing up midichlorians to explain the force and etc etc cetera, et cetera. Right. and uh, by by way of saying that like once you start over explaining mysteries, it be it becomes progressively less satisfying. Yeah. So totally. it's it's so it's just, you know, it's 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 much better to do that quickly. And I will just be because I'm just sort of, you know, the the passive consumer who wants you to tell me a story and I'll be like, you know, oh okay, an orange. Okay, I get it. Let's move on. Right. Yeah. Great. Totally. It's an orange. It's it's yeah. like the leftovers theory. I mean, granted, he was going off source material, but it's where it's like this thing happened. We don't know why. Let's move on. It just did. These are this is yeah. about the effects, not the cause. Yeah, I think Patton Oswalt had the reaction to the the answer to the Star Wars thing, which is I don't care how things got the way they were. I just like the things that I like and yeah. show me more of that. Well, yay for Russian Doll. Netflix, please don't do a second season. Thank you. All right, it's time to go around the dial. First up, Tara Ariana. Uh, I caught up on the speechlesses that have aired in 2019, and um, I just wanted to give a very brief shout out to what they've done with the character of Melanie, uh, played by Sarah Chalk. So they figured out uh, toward the end of the episodes, uh, before the mid-season finale is, is now a thing, 
that um, Maya, the mini driver character, and Melanie, who's also the the parent of a uh, a special needs kid, were going to collaborate together and make a line of um, of accessible clothing, uh, functional clothing for people who have physical limitations to use. You know, using magnets that they can pull apart and. Uh, not only is this a really rich vein of storytelling and very, very interesting, um, you know, to, as the show is so good at, give a, a window for people who don't, you know, have people in their lives who have disabilities to show what what the practical issues are, you know, facing people that are in these situations, but also give Maya a friend, <laughs> make a make a friend of a former frenemy and um, and and sort of show you know, multiple perspectives on motherhood in, in this uh, situation. And the most recent episode has them going to a trade show to kind of premiere their stuff. And they realize that they, because they have been so, you know, dogged and pushy and making sure that their own children have all of their needs met, have made enemies of very, basically everyone who's there. So they have to kind of scramble to figure out how, they're going to get a fair hearing for their line while also acknowledging that all of these people hate their guts. It's just, it, it's, I love the the show's willingness to make these characters like spiky and not saintly and um, speak speechless is great. I feel like it doesn't get talked about enough. So if you have let it slide or you've never checked it out, um, it's currently in its third season, but all of the previous ones are very haha accessible. Um, so <laughs> if you, it's a good time to, to catch up with it, I think it's the, they're doing really interesting stuff this season. And for my plug, this is kind of a meta plug. And to backtrack to Bandersnatch, past guest of this show, Catherine Van Arendonk, um, also has a podcast, as she mentioned when she was here, called Appointment Television. And when they talked about Bandersnatch, they sort of presented other concepts that would work with the Bandersnatch format and invited their listeners to. Um, to propose other ideas that could work uh, in a choose your own adventure uh, situation. And they uh, mentioned one that I had tweeted at them. So listen to their most recent episode. We'll link it in the show notes to hear more of me, I guess. And my other plug is for again with this, our 90210 podcast that Sarah and I do. Yes, we're in season 10. Yes. This show lasted 10 seasons. Yes. We have done more than 200 more than 250, I guess, if there's only 20 episodes left in the season. Oh, my God, there's so many episodes. Uh, so, yeah, join us. We're doing this for you. So <laughs> check that out wherever you find podcasts. Jim, your turn. I am a latecomer to uh, the show Corporate on Comedy Central, which is now in its second season. Um, and it, it, it is... Just to give you the the, the brief thumbnail, uh, this just hilariously vicious satire um, of corporate office life uh, that that premiered last year. And I will be honest, when I watched the first couple of episodes, I think they sent a few out as screeners to critics. It it seemed a little sort of just harsh and uh, uh, off putting. To me, and I, I will admit that I was wrong. I think this, this this was this was not so much the show that the show got better as it went on, but that I didn't give myself enough time to sort of acclimate myself to its worldview. Uh, later last year, I, I uh, you know, having 
heard good things from people who had watched uh, more and more of it, went back and, and binged the first season. Um, and it just gets better and better and addictive. Oh, I, I should say, so the second season is on Comedy Central now. It's It started uh, back in January. The, the, the recent episode, uh, Natural Beauty, I think it was the third episode of the season, um, one of the best comedy episodes I've seen in months Whoa. will probably be on my list of, like, I, I do a list of best episodes of the year at the end of every year. You were like me, and you gave up on corporate in the first season. I, I, I strongly suggest getting back into it. If you were a fan of Better Off Ted, uh, uh, which was a, a great corporate satire several years ago on, on ABC, you may like this. I, I've, I, I think this is more than a retread of that, um, because I always felt that you know, Better Off Ted kind of had this notion that, oh, this, this is this peak inside of you know, this company, Viridian Dynamics, which is bad and evil. <laughs> but there is, I, I think the difference with, with corporate is that its attitude is sort of capitalism is bad and it kind of makes everybody into monsters and does you know does sort of horrific things to people and makes them into manic creatures and you may agree with that or 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 not but it's it's a point of view and it like totally commits to it uh and is just brilliant at delivering it so wow this this recommendation is like directed right at me and Dave cuz we did watch the first couple and didn't like it and we do like better off Ted so and you hate capitalism. If, if you, <laughs> I do. If you okay, uh, I I will say then since since I have a, a a an audience to evangelize to here, uh, if you want to go back and watch one episode from uh, the first season to to convince you, watch the last episode of the first season, okay. which is called Remember Day, uh, and it's about how uh, the company at the center of of corporate uh, basically invented a national holiday around September 11th uh, oh, no. with, with like a set of like traditions and, you know, gift wrapping and TV specials. Oh. And oh, it's, it's, it is at the same time, like it sounds like, like it's too far. And, uh, 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 but, but it, it's actually handled really deftly. And I can't really uh, explain how, but it ends up being sort of, touching by the end if you don't like it after watching that episode maybe the show is not for you but mm -hmm. i think that it will win you over Great. love it check it out for sure and what do you have to plug there jim and i'll plug my plug which is uh not just my work but uh my colleagues at the times uh around the beginning of last month we to mark the anniversary of the sopranos we uh concocted a list of the 20 best tv dramas since the sopranos uh, it's been out for about a month, but if you haven't seen it, it's new to you. Uh, Google it. Uh, there are a lot of fascinating interviews and arguments, and you can see me make my case for why Adventure Time is, in fact, a drama. Love mm. it. <laughs> Great. We'll link that in the show notes for sure. Dirty budding. Also a drama, but not good, The Challenge, season 154. <laughs> Just kidding. It's actually season 33. Jesus! <laughs> I know. I, I was actually a little surprised that it was, quote, only season 33, because I don't think they're counting the, like, heroes versus champions versus athletes versus Ted Williams' head seasons right, that they do right, occasionally. Right. 
Mm-hmm. Anyway, this is one of the periodic let's pick through the nets for more trash fish to populate the aquarium seasons where um, so-called titans of international reality shows, LOL, come on the challenge to team up with the vets again, LOL, for a blah, blah, you know the drill. Um, I have always actually respected the challenges doing this with such shameless uh, aplomb. They could just call this season Fresh Meat 9. Uh, that's what it is. But I also respect that they cast really, really well on this show generally and um, in who they select from these other uh, programs internationally and um, here in the States. There is a specific branded pitch of asshole and crazy and crazy asshole that this show calls for. Um, and even if they've been dragging the sludge at the bottom of lakes like X on the Beach UK, Geordie Shore, and The Bachelorette, they will Whoa. get the best worst people. Not to mention that quite a few heel turns have occurred in the last couple of years. I now actually hate Cara Maria. And you just have to replenish the pool before some of these veterans age out of the medics, even allowing them to compete. <laughs> I only saw the reunion from last season. And by the way, Team Ashley, uh, fuck Hunter. If you want to get paid, be less of a crush to your partner. Um, but thanks to Kim's recommendation of the reunion for that, which I totally watched while literally eating popcorn, I am back <laughs> in for this season of the challenge. Uh, not least because you just never know when it's going to be CT's last time around the carousel. <laughs> For my plug, speaking of things that are terrible, but you love them like family, uh, I was on the Law & Order podcast. These are their stories. That's not the terrible part, obviously. It is a great podcast, but I was discussing an SVU episode that lives in infamy in my heart and that I tweet about every time it's on. It's the Vixie Platinum episode (laughs) featuring another universe and uh, Olivia Benson telling some Zuckerberg mankay to turn on the sun. Um, You can find These Are Their Stories, a Law & Order podcast, wherever you find other podcasts. And I suggest that you give that one a listen because uh, I had been waiting for a while to um, (laughs) say everything that I felt in my heart about Fixie Platinum. And now that has occurred. So enjoy. We'll we'll link that in the show notes, too. Okay, so the Super Bowl had this commercial for Budweiser for Bud Light that involved their couple years old weird idea that there's a Bud Light mascot called the Bud Knight. And he's a knight in blue armor. And he does medieval things. So they had this commercial that ended up being a Game of Thrones commercial as the knight that he's jousting against ends up being that Sir Gregor Coglane or something like that dude from Game of Thrones. And it was just like this whole switcheroo thing they did. But what I don't get is the Budweiser people, have they never watched an episode of Game of Thrones? Do they not know anything about Game of Thrones? Because they basically had this corporate representation where they give up a commercial to this character in game of thrones that is like this zombie rape guy that (laughs) the last time we saw him i think on the show uh seriously uses him to basically torture one of her enemies she's got locked up in london tower and just like like he's just gonna rape her to death over like months or years or something like that and that's the character they use in these commercials and nobody's fucking talking about it i feel like i've taken crazy pills like how did this get through like 
hey, God bless Game of Thrones for getting away with it. That's great for Game of Thrones. But what the fuck was Budweiser thinking? <laughs> like, seriously, I don't understand how this got through corporate standards and practices, whatever the equivalent is. It's like the uh, this was also the event that had an insurance company trying to sell you a product by having it narrated by a kid who died. So Bud Light was literally like, literally hold my beer. <laughs> <laughs> AMC Network's Sundance Now is a premium streaming video service offering a rich selection of prestige dramas, heart-stopping thrillers, and gripping true crime series from around the world. Sundance Now believes that life is more enriching when experienced through perspectives that differ from our own. Why is Sundance Now so awesome? Sundance Now's catalog includes award-winning original content, international exclusives, and hard-to-find properties at a fair price. You get premium content and no commercials for as low as $4.99 a month with an annual membership. And you can enjoy it anywhere. Sundance Now works on all your favorite devices. Download the app or watch online on Apple and Android devices, Amazon Fire TV, Google Chromecast, Roku, and more. My favorite aspect of Sundance Now is their documentary library. Pop culture investigations like The Cult of J.T. Leroy, The Pussy Riot Doc, and that must-see for Project Runway fans, Bill Cunningham, New York. But the catalog is impressively deep on the true crime front, too. There are lots of films I've covered for my true crime newsletter, but just as many I haven't had a chance to watch yet, and I had to force myself not to start Valentine Road instead of recording this ad, so... Let's get to that promo code so that I can get back to the film, and you can join me free for 30 days. Start streaming your next obsession. To try Sundance Now free for 30 days, go to SundanceNow.com and use promo code EHG. That's S-U-N-D-A-N-C-E-N-O-W.com and use promo code EHG for 30 days of free streaming. Thanks, Sundance Now! It is time for the canon. A little bit of a switch up this week. We do have a user submitted entry this week, but the audio wasn't quite airworthy. So we did get the script for it. So Tara is going to read Lauren's entry on her behalf. Uh, Lauren's intro is I'm submitting my third episode for the canon and going for a hat trick. Previously, I submitted episodes of Bojack Horseman and Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, which were both unanimously accepted. Hoping three for three here. So here we go. Today, I am submitting to the canon season four, episode 17 of Bob's Burgers, The Equestronauts, or as I call it, the Brony episode. This episode is hilarious and involves the whole family on a caper together. And it does something that Bob's Burgers really excels at, joyful explorations of weird niche areas of adult enthusiasm. They've done wine trips, drone helicopters, food trucks, and others. But this one is the funniest, the most specific, and the best. So the episode starts with the family watching Tina's favorite cartoon, The Equestronauts. She, Linda, Louise, and Jean head to a local equestronaut convention, thinking that it will be filled with girls like her. Of course, it turns out to be a convention for grown men who are into the show, called here delightfully The Equesticles. Okay, so here's where some background will help. The Equesticles are pretty clearly meant to be bronies, adult male fans of the real-life show My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic. If you're not familiar with brony culture, I highly recommend the documentary Bronies, the extremely unexpected adult fans of My Little Pony. It was on Netflix for a while, but dropped off a couple of years ago. It is just $1.99 on Amazon or YouTube and is really fascinating. 
whoever wrote this episode has 100% seen this documentary, and it is pretty on point. Back to the episode. Louise is, of course, delighted at the turn of events, as we hear in clip one. Does anyone else think these girls all look like men? I think they are men. This is a kind of man. We discovered a new kind of man. Do you think they're dangerous? <laughs> no. <laughs> so, uh, Louise, Jean, and Linda, after my own heart, head to the food court, and Tina is left to her own devices. A group of equesticals led by Paul F. Tompkins' Bronconius take Tina under their wings in clip two. I'm Tina. I'm starting to feel like I didn't belong. Are you kidding? Everyone belongs here. That's what the Equestronauts is all about. You can be anything you want to be. No judgments. Well, some judgment by me. Like this. Hot mess. Hey, are you okay? You're a cute mess. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Bronconius, for reasons to be discovered, tricks Tina into trading her beloved toy chariot pony to him for a new one in clip three. Oh, hey, oh my gosh, what's this? Why, it's the new Cosmic Twinkle Chariot doll. Gene, I don't even really need it. Want to just trade straight up? Yeah, I don't know. Tina, 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 face it, your chariot doll's looking a little giddy yuck. Me and the guys here think you deserve an upgrade. Right, guys? Right, guys? Yeah, For, yeah that's right. sure. Yeah, I think that. Treat yourself. See, this is ugh, gross. But this, oh, so pretty. It is pretty. Everyone will envy you. Um, okay. Great! Well, gotta gallop. What? Oh. Tina is heartbroken, and we find out that her chariot was one of the rarest equestronaut dolls in the world due to its factory defect camel toe, which we unfortunately never see. A belcher caper takes seed as Bob steps up to help Tina in clip four. I'm going down to that convention, and I'm getting that doll back. Bronconius isn't going to just give it back, Dad. Wake up. He tricked Tina. We got to fight trick with trick. Like what, Louise? Dad's going to waltz in there disguised as an equestical with the complete knowledge of the show, earn their trust, infiltrate their inner sanctum, and steal Chariot back? Yes, 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 and yes! Bob spends the evening studying the Equestronaut multiverse, watching the shows and reading all of the associated novelizations, and even using a horse toothbrush to Tina's mixed excitement and mounting frustration. Clip five. Okay, so I'll just watch this a few more times, take notes. And all these. Okay. And read all of this. Uh, that's a lot. And when you brush your teeth tonight, use this chariot toothbrush. Seriously? We can't take any chances. Fine, I'll use it. So the mane is the bristles. Right, right, I got that. Well, you're doing it backwards. Oh, all right. Well, it has two manes. Oh, that's the no, tail. That's, yes. I got oh it. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> Bob heads for deep cover in clip six. Your pony name is Bob Cephala. Why do I even need a name? Do you have a pony name? No, I'm a girl. Girls who watch the show are just girls, but you're a man. So act like a man and use your pony name. <laughs> Bob meets Bronconius and the gang, and in alpha male mode, Bronconius reads Bob to filth, but Bob is ready to play. Bob is accepted, and he actually seems to be having a good time. I mean, face painting and eating out of a trough, who wouldn't enjoy? Then, when Bob is just about ready to ask about the toy, Bronconius brings up the party that evening. So Bob shows up at the party and is handed a highly alcoholic beverage called horse medicine. <laughs> Bob proceeds to get good and drunk, while Tina realizes she has made a grave error, having Bob read her Equestronaut fanfiction as part of the prep. Clip 7. <gasps> How did this get in here? It's non-canonical. It's what? Are you trying to say nautical? Non-canonical. Non-canonical. She's gone crazy. Let's put her down. Dad, call me as soon as you get this. You're in trouble. Non-canonical. Non-canonical. 
Linda, reasonably, isn't too worried about it. Clip 8. Mom, Dad's in danger. Uh, what are you talking about? He's surrounded by men who play with toy ponies. He's in the least amount of danger possible. No, when I gave him all the stuff to study, I accidentally put in some of my Equestronaut fan fiction. That means he thinks certain zombie horse-related things happen that didn't. And if he says the wrong thing, they'll know he's not an Equestacle. We have to go find him. Tina, I love you, but please don't make me go back there. It smells bad. We have to go! Bob is wasted and is taken to the weird, sexy, lynchian after-party that I assume is part of these kinds of conventions. Bronconius lets Bob in on his collection of rare Equestronaut dolls. Clip 9. Oh, this is more than just a mere collection, Bob. You see, the Equestronauts are eternally young. They have a power. And the rare ones, more power still. But I can harness that power and take youth from them. Bronconius invites Bob in to experience immortality by making out with the rare dolls. But Bob blows his cover by referencing Tina's fanfic-created zombie horse, Bronconius is onto it and backs Bob into getting a tattoo. Clip 10. Guys, maybe just a little tattoo. How about just a little one? Oh, uh-huh. Like really little. Mm. Like tiny? Little tiny little one? Yeah, mm-hmm. that'd be great. Sure, Bob, sure. Do this that size. <gasps> Bronconius, I-, I don't think we should... Quiet! Okay, sounds good. Of course, Bob, if you've never had a tattoo before, sometimes a really small tattoo feels like you're getting a big giant tattoo. But that's just an illusion of the senses. Oh, God, I wish you would call it tattoo. What am I saying? Tattoo. (laughs) The family comes in, surprisingly easily, and save Bob from tattooing in clip 11. Look at what you've all become. You've betrayed the meaning of the Equestronauts. And I don't mean the sexually charged, awkward, confusing vibe at this party. I like sexually charged, awkward, confusing things too. Like for instance... Tina. Sorry. But being an Equestical means no judgment. Right, Horseplay? I mean, you accepted me, and I don't even have testicles. Bronconius hijacked this thing you all love and tainted it. He's the real Xandar. I know who that is. He's the bad guy. Hush! Tina, having rallied the Equesticles and Bronconius, is defeated, while Bob is just minorly tattooed. They're able to get into the safe with the help of the front desk. The family comes home, and Tina decides that she's ready to put her doll away, but Bob is not having it. Clip 12. Hey, what's going on? I'm packing up Chariot. What? Why? Oh, I'm just getting a little old to play with dolls, you know. But thanks for getting her back. Hooray! Tina? What? Play with the doll. But I'm too old to... Tina, play with the doll! Play with the doll, Tina. Come on, do it. Play with it! Make it jump. Uh, She doesn't... I know it doesn't jump. You know how I know that? Because... Because I read 1,200 pages of a Equestronaut crap. Uh, Keep playing with it. Okay, yeah. Good night. Good night. Episode end. So here are the reasons why I think this episode is canon worthy. Number one, the fun the episode has with the low stakes danger that Bob is in. Number two, Paul F. Tompkins' all-star performance of the villain Bronconius. The pronunciation of tattoo alone does it for me. <laughs> Number three, that the other Equesticles are treated not as dangerous weirdos, but nice, if not a bit odd, men. Number four, that recognizability of the dynamics and specificity to anyone who is a super fan of something. You could easily put in a Star Trek or Doctor Who convention here. Number five, the obvious delight the writers had in creating names and specifics about the Equestronauts. Peggy Stryka, Pony Danza, Salt Lake City. Number six, the hilarious ending. Any other show would allow Tina to learn from her experience and have the grow up moment, but Bob is a realistic parent and isn't taking that crap. The episode is hilarious and quotable. Non-canonical. It's non-canonical. And I think it deserves a spot in the extra hot great canon. So let's start with Jim. I'll go last. Canonical. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, I was delighted to see this on the suggestions list. It, it, it's it's probably if it's not my favorite Bob's Burgers episode, it's got to be in the top four or five. If you know, you asked me to lift list them. I mean, it's it's from this. I think it's a fourth season episode, and there was just there was this stretch in seasons three and four where the show just really comes into its own and includes classics like Topsy and OT, the outside toilet. (laughs) Um, And, you know, a a number of episodes that I might suggest for this, but the more I thought about it, the more I think that this might be the most representative episode of Bob's Burgers, a great show for some of the reasons that, that, uh, uh, you know, your listener suggests, which is, I think that at its heart, Bob's Burgers is, a show about people who are passionate about things and often passionate about small, weird things, uh, whether it's, you know, perfecting a burger technique or, you know, a specific pop culture character or a hat uh, or, or this or that. And, and, and it's very, like, good-spirited without being mocking about that. Uh, so, you know, in addition to this just being a hilarious episode. I was kind of curious how it would play just listening to it back in clips as audio, because you're not even seeing like <laughs> just <laughs> this like trippy, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, visual of the uh, uh, various Equestronauts designs that they came up with. Um, <laughs> but, you know, b- besides that, I think it really gets at something about the, the spirit of the show that just makes it like the, the essence of Bob's Burgers. So it's, it's a big yes for me. Okay, Sarah. Um, I don't know where this fits in, like, contextually, because I tend to watch Bob's Burgers for the canon and be like, I should really start from the beginning. And then I just don't get around to it. I will get around to it. Um, This was so much fun. I liked, especially about this episode, like, various Gene lines, like when he's screaming to take the cyanide capsule. And like when they're all in um, Bob's ear, like during his first foray onto the convention floor, there's just really a ton of good material in there. And like, you know, you walk funny. I'm just saying work on that was a, was a line <laughs> that I laughed at. Um, I have also been screaming non-canonical, non-canonical at the cats for like three days, <laughs> just when they're like, you know, that they're like clawing the um, couch. And I'm like, not canonical. I mean, it is for them, but. Uh, there's a lot of good lines in here and, um, H John Benjamin's delivery as usual, especially in that last clip. Um, we heard where he's like, you know, no, you're playing with it. I I watched and downloaded so much material. You are playing with this, uh, you're playing with this pony. Um, I'm also dying to see the Bronies documentary now because the episode overall had such a good ear for, um cons like it's lauren right who presented who submitted this correct yes uh for like for con culture it had such a good ear for um shows of that type like when we see the the opener of um (laughs) when we see the opener of the equestronauts it's like note perfect for for a show like that um and it is like it's just a very lean uh it's like a lean built it like there's nothing in there that doesn't need to be there and yet it's like stuffed full at the same time um to two i have to agree 
is, is, is worth the price of admission. So yes, I really enjoyed this a lot. I am the one on the panel who can't really speak to how this um, ranks like relative to the rest of the show's run. But um, it was really funny. I laughed a lot and filled like two pages with quotes. So <laughs> I really liked it. David T. Cole. I think this is a perfectly fine episode of Bob's Burgers, but I find it like it's a little too loud. It leans like a little too much on its setting to get near the high bar for me, for Bob's Burgers, for the canon. Like my favorite episodes, Jim mentioned a couple of them in that hot streak in, in season three and four. But going back to season one, the Bob is a cabbie episode featuring lifting up the skirt of the night is one of my <laughs> favorites. And Linda's sister with the butt paintings, the butts episode is also way up there for me. What I like about Bob's Burgers and when it does deal with some sort of niche demo is that there is a sort of gentle caring prodding that happens that's not vicious. It would be very easy for this episode to get mean about brony culture. It doesn't. It really just kind of uses as a catalyst for Bob playing spy in this odd culture and, and Tina trying to navigate her expectations. But I didn't it like I just didn't find it as funny as those other episodes. Frankly, I thought it was like a good B plus episode, but I'm kind of looking for A plus for Bob's Burgers. Paul F. Tompkins is an exceptional voice actor. But when I compare like this to like Mr. Peanut Butter, I, I will say like I feel like he was a little underused, although Tattoo is amazing. Like that is definitely like the one thing I take away from this episode is I will forever now in my head be calling them tattoos. <laughs> the only other thing I will quibble with on the presentation is I think there's lots of shows that would end an episode these days like this one did without a life lesson really hitting home. We can go back to The Simpsons where it's an easy thing to say that The Simpsons also wouldn't do that. I think a lot of TV culture since then shares that. Tara, you wanted to go last, so lay it on us. Well, just, you know, to give everybody a break from my voice. I, there was a lot of, a lot to like about this episode. I love the, uh, we found a new kind of man. <laughs> I think it's so great. And the way they portray, as we heard in the clip of Tina trying to, like, give give Bob a crash course in Equestronauts, and he's he can't figure out, he mixes up the mane and the tail, and she's just so disgusted. Like, that rang very true to me of, like, when a kid yeah. is trying to tell you about something they're obsessive about, yeah. and you're trying to get it, and they're like, no, no! Like, they get the fr how frustrated <laughs> they can get. That's true, yeah. Um, and the, the, you know, hearkening uh, back to Tina's horniness when they bust in on the after-after party, which is like, really on the line of risque i mean i know it's not really a show for kids but like i mean i felt like this was this went a little far for bob's burgers and i was like uncomfortable that the kids were there i'm not a prude but like it's you know men were riding other men it was a lot um uh, i i appreciate the point that jim made about like the, sh the show celebrating you know and being in tolerant and accepting and inclusive about people's obsessions whatever they are the uh the gene gets in really into um tablescaping episode also sprang to mind when you were describing that which is a, like one of my favorites because it's so weird and like i think when we watched it i had to tell dave like this is a real thing that people really do compete about and i'm not sure he believed me but <laughs> but at the same time like i agree with dave that this is like my my line for a Bob's Burgers episode is like so much higher because I love the show in general. And I thought that the way they resolved the bronconius 
um, why he wanted the collectible. Like, I didn't think that they needed to go the extra mile of like he kisses them to get their immortality. <laughs> like, yeah, it's enough that it's a rare collectible. Like that would have that would have done it. You know, we all know that there are people who would want it just for that reason alone. And like pushing it that one extra step, I thought was weird. And also I thought the ending, like, you know, true Tina doesn't earn a lesson, but, but for Bob to get that mad, I thought was out of character for him. I felt like it would be much more Bob esque for him to just be resigned. Like, well, I did all that for nothing, (laughs) you know, like in any other episode, I feel like that's how it would have ended. So, um, I appreciate the submission, but I think I am with Dave. Okay, so let's make this official. Uh, Jim, what say you, canon or not? Canon. Sarah D. Bunting. Canonical. I'm going to go with non-canonical. Tari Ariano. <laughs> Me too. All but right. Thank you, Lauren. Split decision means it goes to non-canonical. So. Oh. <laughs> I'm sorry. But Bob's Burgers, Season 4, Episode 17, The Equestronauts. It was close, but by split decision, you are hereby not entered into the extra. Non-canonical! Non-canonical! <laughs> Americans love a winner. Yup. And will not tolerate a loser. Nope. It's time for Winner and Loser of the Week. Tara, who's our winner? I'm going to say both our winner and loser kind of blur the line of what yeah. winning and losing <laughs> yeah, are. Yeah, they do. <laughs> but let's say our winner is um, Andy King, who is the breakout star of Netflix's documentary about the Fire Festival. I think we alluded to this when we talked about both of the docs a couple of weeks ago, but I don't think we exactly spelled out. The reason that Andy King is is known is that he told an anecdote in the documentary about how at one point, um, Billy McFarlane said there was a load of Evian water being held up at customs in the Bahamas and they were going to need Andy to go down to the customs house and suck someone's dick to get the water released. And so um, he instantly became a meme, obviously. And so he was, I'm going to say forced, although who knows, uh, by Netflix um, to do like a video talking about how he's seen all your memes and thinks they're funny, which does he. Uh, but in addition to that, the news came out last week that he has been approached about um, being in a show himself. And so one of the ones that he is, I guess, con- considering is a, is one where that would be about planning crazy events. So oh. I assume like a David Tutera sort of a thing, but it's like, you know, haven't we already, first of all, humiliated this guy enough? And second, like, wrung out his relevance? Like, this is, And third, this... why isn't that show what you would suck a dick for? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think you cracked it. But yes, I feel like this by the time, if, if this show happens, by the time it comes out, no one's going to remember what he is even, like, yeah. infamous for. He's going to be like the you know, jet blue flight attendant guy, except it's going to be in like a year and a half and it'll be like, Oh yeah, that dude. So good luck to Andy King question mark. All right. And speaking of question marks, who is our loser? Um, <laughs> he might be the loser, but, um, he's my president. Winner in our hearts. <laughs> News producer, Michael Tillich was fired from a CBS affiliate in Pittsburgh for authorizing a Chiron identifying Tom Brady as a quote known cheater. <laughs> Um, this story was surfaced, I guess, by Deadspin, and then they did an interview with the guy, and he seems to be doing fine. Someone like started a GoFundMe 
for him. And he says that once he gets another job, he's going to give the proceeds to a charity uh, that Brady supports. I was like, like the Trump Foundation, because... <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, the real loser was the actual Super Bowl, which had like a soccer score and got shit ass ratings. But um, Michael Telek, consider a 2020 run. Field still wide <laughs> open. All right, guys. Well, speaking about known cheaters, do you know what time it is? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> it's game time. Okay, it is game time, and this is the third game time of the season. Season scores to date. Tara Ariana, one point. Valued guests, one point. Today we are playing Super Nintendo Chalmers 2, colon, steamed hams from Brendan Brazo, <laughs> the Brazier, who earns himself an extra credit, redeemable for an extra credit topic of his choosing. He writes, how many video games have been released based on TV shows? Nobody knows. There's so many, lots of them terrible, some good. Here's a bunch more. In this game time, we are mostly looking for the TV show that the video game I'll describe is based on. Two points if you get it without an additional hint. One point if you use the hint, you can only guess once, so choose wisely. Uh, let's throw it to the person in control, choosing initiative, Picky3000, to see who will go first. We will start with valued guest. All right. So we're going to go Jim, Tara, Sarah is our order. We have 30 questions. We're not going to do any equalizers because the format changes here and there. It's already going to be a busy game. So with <laughs> okay. that in mind, are we ready to play Super Nintendo Chalmers 2 steamed hams? Are um, steel meals going to be a factor? Uh, yes. Yeah. So let's hear the steel meal situation, please. Thank you. All right. Sarah and I each have two valued guests have none. Okay, so two, two. This is so much mythology for Jim to be kind. I, I, can, can I use a wicked Wango card? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. yeah game time's good. involved The wheel over time. has not been my friend tonight. <laughs> Small note, the very first game time we ever did was one question. And then, wow. and then it lasted 30 <laughs> seconds. So, you know, we've grown really? since then. I don't even remember that. So we're going to go to Jim first. I will describe the video game. You only need to tell me the TV show I'm talking about. If you don't know the answer after I describe it, you can ask for a hint. All right. In this Sega Genesis game, we follow the title characters as they search for pieces of their torn up concert tickets that had been scattered all over town. One ticket has ended up in some guy's stomach. To collect that piece, you have to find a dead rat, add it to a deep fat fryer with french fries, serve it to him and then pick it out from the resulting vomit you think you know what tv show that's based oh on shout it out if you're not sure and you want an additional hint you let me know i'll take an additional hint okay your hint is daria makes an appearance in this game uh beavis and butthead nice beavis and butthead the game correct i said nice assuming that was right so good job <laughs> tara yeah. While this game does a very good job of rendering the show's theme song given the limited capabilities of Nintendo Entertainment System, unfortunately, it's the only music in the game. That won't get old. Let's have a listen.
just I'm just gonna shoot my shot. Is that the X Files? Dang. Incorrect. What is it? Uh, you can't get the point, but let's just see if you can no, get off the hint. In okay. this game, you pilot a helicopter and shoot things while rescuing prisoners held captive in enemy bases. So we got a helicopter. Oh, is it Airwolf? It's Airwolf, indeed. Okay. Yes. All right. So no points for Tara. On to Sarah. In the 1988 DOS version of this game, you get a lot of joke, that's in quotes, responses to questions. Here are some of them. Question. The Census Bureau reports that more and more people are moving. What reason do they give? Joe answers, no hot water. Question. When Queen Elizabeth went to China recently, she took three tons of it with her. What was it? Alex answers, beer nuts. What's the TV show? That video game. I'm going to need a hint. Okay. Hint. Jeffrey Tambor, Kathy Griffin... Brad Garrett and Martin Mull are all front and center in the 2010 version for the Nintendo Wii. Uh, <laughs> Benson? I don't know. Mm, no. Incorrect. Anybody want to hazard a guess there? Oh, no. <laughs> Hollywood Squares. Hollywood Squares. Oh, okay. All right, we're back to Jim. According to an online review, in this game, the vehicle you pilot handles like a large nuclear-powered dildo. You'll likely spend your first 10 or 20 minutes smashing against various rock formations and underwater colonies in an attempt to gain an iota of control. Uh... <laughs> so guess or, or take the hint. You know... Um, oh, I feel like he's going to roll the bones. I don't know. Yeah, I don't think the, the hint is going to help me any here. Um, I, have no, I have no idea. I have All right, no well, idea. I'll give you the hint. Mission levels are presented in side-scrolling shooter style. You can pick from four vehicles, such as remote probe and a trained bottled-nosed dolphin with an aqualung. Here's the theme music <laughs> as rendered by the game. Okay. Things having to do with the sea. Yeah. Uh, surface. Surface. <laughs> Ooh. Incorrect. That was a decent theme song. That was from Sequest DSV. Oh, okay. Oh. Nuclear Power Dildo sure. Ship is a fair, fair representation of that. Okay. That was pretty tough. Uh, let's go to... Um, Me. In this game, you're trying to save the world after someone acquires your company, thus becoming the majority shareholder of Earth and promptly enslaving everyone. To help you on your quest, you have to access the reanimator, which closely resembles a giant toaster, which brings your characters back to life every time they die. Battlestar Galactica? <laughs> Incorrect. That was Futurama the video game. Sarah, in this super terrible NES game, <laughs> based on a 60s sitcom, 
players spend most of their time not playing the game, but rescuing the title character who follows you around and frequently gets lost, stuck on things, or falls down one of many holes in the game. Its level of design has been described as a labyrinth no man's land designed to drive hapless travelers insane. <laughs> I guess God. the show asked for a hint. Um, I'm just going to guess because I have no points right now and something needs to happen. So is it Get Smart? Hint. Love that guess. Let's see if anybody can get it from him. Actually, I'm going to try. I'm going to I'm going to ba- gamble on a steel meal. OK, Ooh. Mr. Magoo. Shit. Decent guess. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the, the, the character fumbling around and falling into shit is actually not part of the game. It's a design flaw oh. in the actual programming oh, is what he was damn. saying. Uh, <laughs> to complete the first level, you must perform the following. Talk to three different characters, then talk to him again later on. Find a certain massive tree, then find it again later on. Kill a gorilla. Walk all the way back to the beginning of the level. Once you accomplish this, you have successfully built a hut. George of the Jungle? No, it's a lot Link, secret chimp. Gilligan's ah. Island. The Adventures oh, of Gilligan's Island. Off. In which, apparently, <laughs> you kill a gorilla. Yeah, yikes. Jesus yeah. Christ, Sherwood Schwartz. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Jim. The pot. The PlayStation 2 version of this game was only released in Europe. Here's the theme song as rendered by the Game Boy Color, which has the same name, but is in fact a different game. What's the show based on this theme? Okay. Any guess what that is? Or you can ask for the hint. This is going to shock you, but I will take the hint. Okay. In the PlayStation version of this game, again, same name, different game, your character can run, jump, kick, slash, and block enemies' attacks, as well as perform groin kicks and cartwheels. If an attack is executed successfully, they let out their signature scream. Uh... Clearly, it's Hong Kong Fooey. <laughs> he is a superstar, but unfortunately, that's Xena Warrior Princess. Signature uh, Scream. Oh, Signature Scream. Yeah, yeah, I should have had that. Okay, Tara. Yeah. Clancy Brown reprises his role as the voice of the main villain and in the game has trapped our hero's friends in a virtual world to which the hero must venture inside to save. The reason for the virtual setting is that the licensor did not want their hero to kick or punch real people Nancy Brown reprises oh hint in the first part of the game you have to fly through a set number of rings in a given time to proceed to the next challenge however it is so hard that a person recording a gameplay demo that is shown before you start the game actually misses the rings (laughs) jeez we I got have Clancy no Brown. Highlander. We got flying. Yeah. Any guess? Uh, I mean, I said Highlander, so I guess got to stick on that. 
that is Superman the Animated Series. Clancy Brown Rap. is the voice of the main villain. <laughs> was anyone else thinking Carnival when you heard oh Clancy God, Brown? Be awful. No, I was thinking SpongeBob, but then I didn't know if he was the bad guy on that show. I, I totally want to play the 8-bit Carnival video game now. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh. <laughs> All right, Sarah. This game starts off with you rummaging through some old videotapes to determine what decade you'll be playing in. This makes the game especially hard given its overall premise. But don't worry, if you do badly, you'll be able to do a full playthrough in three minutes. Quantum Leap. The first time this show was released in video game format was 1990 for the PC and Commodore 64. Let's listen to the theme as rendered by the ever-famous PC speaker Harsh Tones. I remember those games. That was Price is Right, colon, decades. Yeah. Game. All right, guys, it is time for a mini game. But first, let's hear the scores. Oh. All right. Well, this won't take long. Sarah and I have zero <laughs> points. Jim has one. All right. Uh, for the rest of the game, I'll let you guess and take the hint since uh, we're all having trouble here. All right? Yeah, go to hell, Brazo. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Time for a mini game. We're talking about Star Trek. What game time about video games would be complete without a punishingly hard minigame? It's time to venture into space with Star Trek, (laughs) the franchise that spawned a million trillion video games. Try to identify what part of the franchise these games came from, from its title and the year it was released. Your choices are Original Series, Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, or Voyager. Starting with Jim, Star Trek Elite Forces 2000. Which Star Trek show is that? Uh, Voyager. Nice. Star Trek Harbinger, uh, 1996. Uh, wait, wait, uh, I'm sorry. My options are, are Deep Space Nine, Voyager, or Next Generation? Uh, original, original Next, Deep Space Nine, Voyager. Okay. Uh, I'll go, uh, Next Generation. Next Generation is... Mm. Incorrect, that was Deep Space Nine. Star Trek Birth of the Federation... For Jim, 1999. Um, wait, Enterprise is not an option, right? No, nope. it's right. too late for that anyway. Um, okay, uh, next generation. Correct. All right, you got two out of three. Well done. Tara. Yes. Star Trek, A Final Unity, 1995. Uh, next gen. Star Trek The Rebel Universe 1987 Jill Series Star Trek Legacy 2006 Voyager Okay Alright, three for three Sarah D. Bunting Yeah. Star Trek Futures Past Echoes from the Past 1993 Uh, Next Generation. Star Trek Judgment Rights, 1993. Voyager. Original series. Star Trek Borg, 96. 
Voyager. Next generation. All right, back to Jim. Here's your second uh, Star Trek triptych. Star Trek, the arcade game, 2002. Oh, next generation. Voyager, Star Trek, Crossroads of Time, 1994. Uh, I'll stick with next generation. Then it went with Deep Space Nine. Oh. All right, get ready for this one. Star Trek, the next generation, 1993. (laughs) (laughs) That's Okay, next generation. All right, there we go. All right, Tara. Yeah. Star Trek, the Promethean Prophecy, 86. Uh, original series. Star Trek, 25th anniversary, 1992. Uh, original series again. Star Trek, The Fallen, 2000. <laughs> Voyager. D-Space 9. All right, let's end the Star Trek minigame with Sarah's last three. Star Trek Dominion Wars, 2001. Deep Space Nine. Yep. Star Trek The Kobayashi Alternative, 1985. The Kobayashi Alternative. I think I actually played that game. Original series. Star Trek Elite Forces 2. Were you paying attention earlier? 2003. (laughs) Um, I was not. Next Generation? No, Voyager. That was actually a pretty good game. Elite Forces wasn't so bad. The guys got more points out of the Star Trek minigame than I was expecting. So let's hear the scores. Very close game now. Well, it was before two, I guess. Sarah has three points. Jim has four points. I have five points. Thank you, Star Trek. Back to the game. And this is Jim's. In this racing game, your car is equipped with a homing robot, periscope, SP illumination, rotary saws, grip tires, and auto jacks to help you race through the pack. Speed racer. Yay! Nice. Tara. Yeah. In this first game based on the show, you can talk to the other characters to manipulate them. Here's a sample dialogue tree conversation. Character. Feels like we've been out here for six months. You, I think you can hold out. Character, well, I think I've got work to do. You, man, I'm hungry. I'd give anything for a pizza. Character, do you know how to cook rice? You, no. Character, sometimes I just don't know who to trust. You, why don't you trust me? Character, I trust you totally. You, I trust you totally. Survivor. Survivor, correct. Uh, I was at E3 that year that came out, and I went up stage <laughs> with Colby and what's-her-face? Jerry. Jerry, and made them pull a sign that says, uh, I love Mighty Big TV, and they did it, and it was oh, very Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, number 18 for Sarah. Here are some dialogue snippets from the first 10 minutes of this game. Please note that it came out in 2010. I really appreciate your driving me here. I'm sure you'll do great with your looks, talent, and... Uh, persuasiveness <laughs> matching clothes score more points so stay focused what are points why should I care about what they think of me enemies do more than make you moody they turn pretty faces ugly and that gets you nowhere fast that's right being angry gives me wrinkles don't forget to use the telephone to give your boyfriend a heads up <laughs> 2010. 2010, people. All right, what's what's that TV show? America's Next Top Model. Yeah. <laughs> what? Tyra. Tyra. 
Shame. Okay, guys, TV shows aren't the only ones to get video games. Sometimes commercials get their own games, too. Oh, boy. I'll describe the game. You tell me what mascot we're talking about. Are you ready, Jim? I am ready. This Nintendo Entertainment System game is a port of a Japanese game called Kamen no Ninja Haramaru that used different background arts and sprites along with replacing the boss battles with pizza eating contests. So they took <laughs> a Japanese game, repurposed it for this mascot. Uh, pizza eating, you say? Mario? Oh, Mario? Sorry. Incorrect. But here's your hint for one point. If you were alive in the 1980s, you did not want this massively annoying corporate mascot around your pizza. <laughs> oh, 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 it's a commercial mascot, the Noid. The Noid. Avoid the Noid. The that noid. game was Yo Noid. <laughs> Tara? Yeah. In the first game based on this mascot for a popular snack food, no mention of said snack food is found in the game. However, the manual does have a coupon for 50, 50 cents off a bag of these paw-shaped snacks, which need to be redeemed for December 31st, 1993. Cheetos? Uh, mascot? Oh, Chester Cheetah. Correct. In the second game, they remedied the missing snack food by making sure that you have to eat it constantly or you'll die. <laughs> oh Just like real life. Yep. <clears throat> This is for you, Sarah, and the brand is an okay answer in this case, all right? Released in 1983 for the Atari 2600, this maze game, which was cobbled together over a weekend as a favor for a friend, was based on versions of a popular TV commercial that was shown in the 70s and 80s, and this game was only available via mail order by sending in proofs of purchase. I remember this game. I knew somebody who had it, which was weird. Oh, my God. I need a hint. Okay. There are two obstacles in each maze. The dog catcher, which will cause you to lose a life, and a bouncing object that will freeze you if it touches Chucky, your character. Chucky? We're looking for the brand here. Chucky. Commercial. Dog catcher. Chucky. Dog catcher. Chuck. All I can think of is Chucky the doll. The, um, yeah. the answer no, is, no, no, anybody no. want to take a guess? I mean, I assume it's not Chuck E. Cheese. This video game was based on the Purina Chuck Wagon Chase the Chuck Wagon oh. commercial. Oh. Okay, Jesus back. Jesus Christ. <laughs> the first game featuring this mascot was really just a version of Othello branded with the company's mascot, animated as game pieces. Oh, dear. Oh, the game, Othello. Okay. I was thinking the play. Like, <laughs> well, that's dark. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. Can you repeat the question? Sure it's, can. It's, <laughs> that the, the, the game was based on Othello using the company's something yes, the first The first game featuring this mascot first of, of many, was really just a version of Othello, or Reversi, if you want, branded with the company's mascot animated as the game pieces. Alright, so Othello is the game where the pieces are black on one side and white on the other side, and you flip them. Yep. So, is there a mascot that's 
black and white uh, Oreo. <laughs> oh, that's, that's what good, I was thinking. That's a decent guess. Mm. Not correct. So here's your hint. In the European release for the Game Boy, the advertised product was removed from the intro and replaced by a generic soda bottle of similar color. The decision was made to avoid associating this mascot with a brand in a region where Fido Dido had been considered the brand's official mascot since the 80s. <gasps> so it's not Fido Dido, but it is for that same product. Do you remember what mascot that was? Spuds McKenzie? Oh! <laughs> that is cool spot otherwise known as spot the seven up spot he's the red dot from seven up logo oh i was actually waiting for this one yeah okay <laughs> i had no idea that dot was like a, a sentient being for a hot second it was <laughs> yes uh this game released for the Atari 2600 and in television remains one of the most blatant product placement endeavors in video game history the game could be obtained for free by mailing in 125 proof of purchase points pepsi hint the setting of this game is a simple pool of water and the object of the game is to quench the thirsties thirsties are round creatures that try to drink up all of the water in the pool with a straw winning a level usually requires quenching around 30 thirsties which will take the player to just a faster level Ugh, Hawaiian Punch? Oh, that's a good guess. Mm. Recently featured on my Instagram feed, Tara. This is Kool-Aid Man, the video game. Oh, oh sure. Jesus. Yeah. This game was never released commercially due to the mascot's dwindling popularity and falling sales in the late 80s, early 90s. It was a single-player, side-scrolling action game where you go through five stages in an effort to rescue the band and their musical notes that were stolen by a gang of jealous musicians called... The Wild Bunch. The California Raisins. Yes! California Raisins, the Grape Escape. Uh, a raisin. Awesome. And I, I believe raisins are still the official sponsor of Extra Hot Grape. I think they are. Raisins, Boy. tasty fruit for every baking need. And that Shut up, Dave. is the end of our mascot questions. But we have a few more left. Okay, Jim. Remember, we're back right. to shows. This show is based on the comic Xenozoic Tales, where humans have emerged from underground cities 600 years after man-made cataclysm to find that the world had been reclaimed by previously extinct life forms. An arcade beat-em-up game and on-rails shooter were made as a tie-in for the cartoon released on CBS in 1993. Dinosaurs? Dinosaurs. Incorrect, but part of the answer. Here's your hint. The title contains the name of a luxury brand of automobiles to which General Motors holds the trademark. They also own the trademark to the show game comic book name. I feel like I know less now that I have <laughs> I know. <laughs> so let's put this together. I've given you dinosaurs. And the hint was contains the name of a luxury brand of automobiles from General Motors. Cadillac dinosaurs? <laughs> That's exactly what I would say. Cadillacs and what? dinosaurs. I'm going to give it to you. Hey. Wow. All right, Tara. <gasps> yes. While the title character of this game has a junior designation, he is in fact the nephew of a very famous character. The levels in the game consist of two helicopter missions, a Mayan temple full of snakes, a sewer level ending in a boss fight against a submarine, 
a spaceship mission, and a space base. This is the Indiana Jones TV show? Mm. Indiana Jones Chronicles? Shit. It is not. Okay. Hint, one of the villains in the TV show is called Goldie Finger, and episodes oh. are titled with names such as Live and Let's Dance and Rubies Aren't Forever. James Bond? James. Jimmy Bond? Mm. James, James Bond, Bond Jr.? Jr. is the name of the show. Uh, James Bond Jr. Correct. Sorry. All right, Sarah. Let's listen to this clip taken from the 2002 PlayStation 2 release using sound-alike actors. You said you'd release her if we beat your time limit. That was not what I said. I only told you she wouldn't die yet. I'll release her on my conditions. Which are? Simple. I challenge to a race around the flag test track here. If you win, I'll release Dr. Marston. If you lose, I will seal myself airtight and remove the air from the passenger compartment. And Dr. Barstow will suffocate. All right, Sarah, what's that show? Oh, please, Picky. Smile upon me. Is that Knight Rider? Hey! Hey! <laughs> you Job are correct. All right. Boliath. <laughs> All right, everybody's last question coming at you. Let's get the scores quickly. All right, still super close. Jim has eight points. Sarah and I are now tied with 90. All right. Thanks, Raisins and Michael Knight. Mathematically, <laughs> said. anybody's game. Jim, we start with you. All right. The first version of this game came out in 1988 for IBM Compatibles and the Commodore 64. Aww. They also decided to render the show's theme music via the PC speaker, which we will now hear. I know this eliminates me from anything but a tie, but I'm going to have to ask for a hint. Okay. Hint. A 2010 edition was released in brackets for some reason. No word if you can role play as Michael Larson. Deep cut clue there. Uh, I'll say. Um, I've got no idea. All right. No whammies, no whammies, no whammies. Mm. Let's press your luck. Press your luck. Oh, Michael Larson no. was the guy who beat the system and won a bazillion dollars. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Tara. Yep. In a video game parody of this show, the objective is to answer questions correctly and assault other players sufficiently, as in punch them in the face repeatedly, so that they drop off the game's ladder. Options available when answering questions are one or the other, pass the buck, chicken out, and fortune cookie. A video like game parody show. of this show. Yeah. Off the ladder. I need a hint. There appears to be at least 18 different video game editions of this game show since its inception in 2000. Very popular game to turn into video games. We talked about oh. the parody at first. What's okay. the show? Is it Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? That's good for one point. 
the name of that video game up top. Who wants to beat up a millionaire? Oh, okay. All right. Sure. Tara, I mean, Sarah, you need to uh, get the hint answer for one or steal it all with an answer up top. Are you ready? Good luck, Sarah. Yep. In this rhythm-based game, it advertises that you can play as one of nine celebrities from Emmett Smith and Mario Lopez to Stacey Keebler and Monique Coleman. With Dancing with the Stars? <laughs> Dancing with the Stars! That is correct. <laughs> I hate to say this, but thank Good you, reasons. <laughs> we have a tiebreaker, which we'll play now for uh, a steel meal. I have five clues, all talking about the same entity. All right. So as soon as you know what we're talking about, you shout it out. Yep. This entertainment and media company has created at least 34 different TV programs since its creation in 1979. In that time, they've also created 68 different video games based on this property for which the company is named. In 2002, the company had to rename itself because it had a trademark dispute. This company had branched out into other fields in recent years, such as movies, real estate, and the occasional football league. WWE? WWE is correct. And I guess you steal it for future use, Tara. Nice job. Well done, everybody. Sarah! Sarah. Oh, yes. <laughs> All right, guys. That is it for another episode of Extra Hot Great. We repeatedly opined on the Groundhog Daisian Netflix series Russian Doll before going around the dial with stops at Speechless, Corporate, The Challenge, and The Bud Knight's Journey into Darkness. <laughs> we said nay to Lauren's Cannon Case for Bob's Burgers' brony-inspired episode, and we crowned winners and losers of the week, and Sarah was the winner of this week's Game Time Remember... We're listening. I am David T. Cole, and on behalf of Tara Ariano, off to get a tattoo. Sarah D. Bunting. That's my drug dealer. I got to take this. And James Panawazic. I like sexually charged, awkward, confusing things, too. Mm. <laughs> Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time right here on Extra Hot Great. All right, guys, you know what time it is? What? It's game time. <gasps> this week, it's a little game I'm calling Unintelligible Grunts. Ooh. All right, wait, I got to limber up. <laughs> so Go. I've compiled this. I've compiled a bunch of grunts from one actor. Oh. I will play this clip, and you will have to identify the actor. And then perhaps a little bit more after that, if it's... I suspect this might be an easy one. I didn't want to go super hard the first time out. Okay. Because I was worried that, you know, just hearing grunts would be just total nonsense. You right. Not, never. But I think there's a chance that you'll get this. Do we just yell it out as soon as we think of it? As soon as you can identify it. All right. You get more, all the guesses you want. Okay. But let's listen to it all the way through the first before <laughs> okay. any guesses. All right. Okay. All right. Are we ready? Yep. <laughs> Wow. Do you want to hear it again? Let me know if you want to hear it again. I don't think it would help me, but go ahead. Yeah, let's, you, let's try it one more time. Right, here we go. Okay. Here we go. Everybody, turn up the volume a little bit if you want to play along. And here we go. 
Harrison Ford? It is Harrison oh my Ford. <laughs> yes! <laughs> All right. Can I, can I go through your process here? How did you arrive at Harrison Ford? I could, so the first one is him getting choked, right? Okay, wait, wait, before we go. Um, like they're all this choked. is going to sound like there's shenanigans. No, 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 because no, I, no, 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 there's not. You I, watched Dave recording. No, 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 this is, this is totally. I was, I, no, I'm, I'm, believe me, I don't care if Tara gets accolades or whatever. <laughs> all right, so challenge number two, what movie is that from? Is it from Raiders of the Lost Ark? It is from Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, Challenge number three. Oh, God. What, they're all from the same scene. What scene is it? The, the, at the end. Wrong. No, it's not from the end? No. Yeah. So there's obviously some kind of big fire. Oh, is it? Oh, in the, the mountains where he goes to and finds what's her face. Yeah, all those clips are from that scene. When what is her the, name? The bar fight, Marion. Marion. Tara with the clean sweep. That was pretty good. Yeah. Okay, so now I know. So I might, for the next <laughs> unintelligible grunt, I might make a little. Okay. No, I, I, will, I had to, I had to pick like a. I guys, take, I'm so proud of myself. I will take my defeat like a man. I just high five myself because I'm so happy. <laughs> This is Acast Recommends. Every week we pick one of our favorite shows, and this is one we think you're going to love. Okay, Houston, we've had a problem here. A dramatic rescue mission from the depths of space. You're 200,000 miles out. You're in a spacecraft that's dying. 13 Minutes to the Moon Season 2 tells the real story of Apollo 13. I literally got on my knees and prayed. 13 minutes to the moon. Where am I time? From the BBC World Service. We're not going to the moon anymore. We're going to just be damn lucky to get home. ACAST is home to the biggest podcast from the U.S. and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via ACAST or wherever you get your podcasts.